Good morning, gentlemen. Dutch worked out a Dutch worked out a podcast for us so that we do make recordings. If you miss and um, you'd like to catch up, or you'd like to invite somebody, and they're wondering what do you guys do other than eat bacon, um, and uh, you can always point them at the podcast. I'll try to include a link to that. You're going to get several emails in the next two or three weeks from me. Um, part of that is our plan for next month. Next month, on the first Thursday of the month, which is our traditional time, and I want to thank everybody for being here because we moved it a week, and sometimes that disrupts everybody's schedules. Um, we're going to be helping out with the garage sale. So this room will be occupied, and that room will be occupied. The garage sale is really quite a community event for us. And I'm going to be meeting with Nancy Lane and... Uh, Rusty's wife, Ann, to find out exactly the best way for us to help out. It may be handing out chicken biscuits. It may be running golf carts. And so there will be a lot more communication between now and the first Thursday of next month because I think that would be a great time for us to sort of serve together here on campus. And it's wonderful when this campus fills up and we can do something for the community. And um, so, so next week we'll not have our next month we'll not have our traditional breakfast, and then we'll be back on schedule uh, for September. Um, I'm going to also add a little bit of different to today's program. We're going to have our a normal sort of speaker, and then at the end of that, I'm going to save a little time, hopefully, for prayer concerns and mountaintop moments. And I, I have one in mind that I want to be able to share this month. And so as we're thinking, as Jeff is speaking to us, if you have a prayer concern and you'd be willing to either say that out loud or or, or not, uh, or you've had a mountaintop moment since the last time that we've met, think about how you would share that. I want us to get used to witnessing a little bit to what's going on in your life in a way that your your fellow RUMC men hear from you what's going on in, in your life. And so I'm very happy to have a good crowd this morning. Um, we do have... Our staff has changed. My, my daughter just got back from Chile, and we were explaining to her, when you go to the church, you may see some new faces or some old faces in new offices. And so she's she's been reminding us of how much change our church has kind of been through in terms of ministerial staff and other key positions. And so this morning, um, we're fortunate to have Dr. Jeff Ross with us. He's uh, not been to the men's breakfast before, so you can, this is a great time for a little hazing or whatever you need to do to tell him. Um, but uh, I'll give you a little bit of his bio, and um, I'm going to try and read this, which uh, becomes earlier and earlier in the day for me to read things. Jeff has spent uh, 38 years serving in a variety of positions in churches across the North Georgia Conference. He has been equally at home in county seat locations as well as inside and outside the perimeter of Atlanta. He's served as lead pastor in a church start, youth minister, associate pastor, and senior pastor. Jeff received a Bachelor of Arts degree from West Georgia College in 1979, Master of Divinity from Candler at uh, Emory in 1984, and um, a Doctorate of Ministry from Columbia Theological. Columbia is a Presbyterian Seminary, right? My dad went to a Presbyterian Seminary. In fact, anyway, there you go. Um, and uh, he was ordained as an elder in the North Georgia Conference in 1984. Uh, Jeff and Sherry, his wife, uh, discovered each other while at uh, ABAC. I'm supposed to say that a different way. How am I supposed to say that? ABAC in uh, Tifton, Georgia. 
They were married in 1979, have four children, two son-in-laws, one daughter-in-law, and one grandchild in a partridge in a pear tree. Um, Jeff and Sherry, oh, now it's blurry to me, enjoy just about anything that involves being outdoors and equally at home in the mountains or at the beach. Um, churches he has served. He was at LaGrange First as a youth director. Grace United Methodist as associate pastor. I read that and said, hey, I got married at Grace, and I wanted to talk to him more about that. Sandy Springs United Methodist Church. Christ UMC. Where is that at? About a mile from there. About a mile from here. Across the street from the Chick-fil-A. Now, thank you for putting it in terms I can understand. Um, Cedartown, that's over by Rome. I have a Cedartown story to share with you later. Dahlonega, and then back in the Atlanta area at uh, Coming First. So you've been working your way down 400. Well, um, Jeff, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Um, I've told Jeff that he can talk about anything he wants to, but at 8 o'clock, if everybody gets up and leaves, it was probably not what he said. It was just that it became to be 8 o'clock. Um, so once again, thank you for being with us this morning, Jeff. Sure. Welcome to uh, Roswell United Methodist Church and the men's breakfast. Well, I was sitting back there worried. I saw this slope, and I said, oh, no, where am I going to put this coffee? But it's flat up here. So, yay. Um, thanks for the chance to, to be here and to get to know you. I'm excited about being at Roswell. Um, I, uh, I, I recently retired as a United Methodist minister, uh, and I did that. Uh, we were talking earlier. I, it's, I'm not really retired. I'm just transitioning, uh, doing some different things after... After 36, 38 years uh, as a United Methodist minister under appointment, I, I, I just really didn't want to be the pastor of a church anymore. Um, and, and, and I didn't know how to articulate that. So uh, uh, about a year ago, I hired a coach, uh, a United Methodist minister named Jim Roby, who I'd gotten to know over the last few years. And I, I went to Jim and I said, Jim, in November of 2017, I'm turning 60. And I've seen way too many ministers in my lifetime just not end well. You know, they grumpy and worn out and tired and just hanging on because they need the money or, or just don't know what else to do. And I said, I just, you know, I'm, I, I love my church. I love what I do. And I just don't want to end that way. I don't know why I felt like I was headed that way. Um, but uh, and so Jim and I started walking through what the next, you know, 5, 10, 15 years could look like. Uh, and, and what it looked like was to do what I wanted to do, what I was passionate about, um, I had to retire. I had to turn in my letter to the bishop uh, so that I got out from under the appointive process. Uh, and so I, I talked to Tom. Tom and I have been friends since uh, uh, for 37 of the 38 years. Uh, we started together in LaGrange. Uh, I could tell you some great stories about that, um, but I'll do that later. Please do. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> And uh, and so I talked to Tom about uh, uh, really st- kind of pitched an idea. I started in ministry as a youth director, and I said, you know, I, I I'm, I've got this idea of being a youth director for retired people. 
<laughs> and, um, um, so we began to play with that and didn't know how to put that on a card. And so I'm the associate pastor of adult discipleship, I think is the official title. Um, but, but what I'm really sort of looking at is being a youth director for retired people. Uh, and I've, I've had that kind of side ministry at every church that I've, I've been at, uh, working with that group and, uh, just doing some things. And so, um, I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, and then I'm doing some other things. I got, I, I loved Jim and what he did with me so much, uh, in the coaching and transitioning that I started taking some classes and walking down that road of, of coaching. And so, um, I'm, I'm officially here at Roswell 20 hours a week. And then uh, 20 hours a week or more or less or whatever, I'm going to be working with uh, Mike Long, your former pastor. Uh, Mike's given me three churches to try to coach up or coach down or do something with. Uh, and uh, I'm working with our conference, uh, 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 I was going to say new church developer, and, and that's kind of his title, but he works with sort of uh, encouraging and, and uh, bringing life to churches all across the denomination, Phil Schrader. I'm working with a couple of churches through him, and then um, just trying to, on my own, to uh, sort of market myself to be available to ministers. Uh, I, I have enjoyed that aspect of ministry, my whole ministry, really, just pouring into other ministers. I've been fortunate, uh, blessed beyond anything I've deserved uh, to be uh, great friends with Mike Long, Tom Davis, and Bill Britt. And uh, we started meeting together. Bill's the pastor at Peachtree Road United Methodist Church. We started meeting together as ministers when we were still in our 20s. We all went right from high school to college, started in churches while we were still in college, uh, and went to seminary together. And Really, most ministers don't do that. Most ministers come in kind of second career uh, into the ministry. And so Mike and, T- and Bill and Tom and I formed a bond. And that friendship uh, and that encouragement from one another is the only thing that has kept us in ministry uh, for this length of time. And so I know that I've been blessed in, in that relationship and, and just have a passion to sort of pour back into ministers <coughs> Uh, uh, across the conference. Um, one of the glaring statistics is that uh, 85% of men and women who go to seminary and then are appointed to a church. A lot of folks go to seminary and don't serve a church. They do different things with that degree. But 85% of the men and women who go to seminary and then are appointed to a church are out of the ministry within five years. That, that's a staggering number. And it, it, it sort of speaks to the, number one, seminary doesn't prepare you real well to be the pastor of a church, gives you a good education, but uh, something's missing in the translation of that. And, and two, uh, we're just sort of, a lot of folks who start in ministry out of seminary or at real small churches, and they're isolated. They're all by themselves. And so, talking with Mike Long, um, Mike's a, a district superintendent now, and I'd always thought that the district superintendent's job was to sort of encourage, be in churches, and do all those things. And, and uh, Mike is saying, he just doesn't have time. 
what's expected of him as a DS, paperwork, meetings, and other kinds of things. He just has to pick, you know, uh, 10 churches to really invest his time in. And so part of what I'm working with Mike about is a kind of a model of, well, if, if the conference could invest in some coaches that could then come, and we're not the DS. When I go into these churches, I'm not, you know, the boss. I'm just somebody coming alongside of them. So uh, that's, that's kind of what I'm hoping to do, sort of juggle all of this. Uh, so, uh, and I see all of that uh, kind of going together in this whole area of discipleship. Uh, encouraging, helping, how do we get from where we are to, uh, mm-hmm. where God is, is, uh, breathing into us and breathing life into us. And so I, I kind of want to walk you on a little journey this morning. That's, that's all the introduction I'm going to do about me. Uh, happy to talk with you about any of those pieces of that, uh, at any time. Um, but I, I want to talk about, uh, kind of, uh, our, our journey, um, as men. Uh, and, and, and as we sort of understand, uh, where God is guiding us and leading us, um, and, and how the Bible speaks to that, this, this journey. Uh, and so I, I've, I've done a couple of things over the last couple of years that have been, uh, enriching and helpful in opening my eyes, uh, and I wish I had done all of this uh, earlier on. There's a guy named Lynn Sweet. Uh, some of you may be familiar with him. He writes a lot of books. Um, and uh, I had the chance to meet him and talk with him over the last couple of years in a couple of different arenas. And 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 in sort of picking his brain, his passion right now is uh, trying to help folks understand the threads that run from Genesis to Revelation all the way through the Bible. It's a different way of understanding the Bible. A lot of times we come at the Bible with uh, a, a verse, and and you know we we take that verse, and what does that verse mean? And we we sort of break it down into uh, you know this little piece, and and kind of look at it and try to uh, make generalizations about it. Uh, and and so there's a lot of scholarship right now. Uh, N.T. Wright, uh, other folks that are looking at. The, from beginning to end, where are we going? What does it look like? And and I've found that that's very helpful to me in understanding my my growth and where God is and where God's taken me. And so, uh, last another resource besides Sweet is last year I've, I've had a couple of conversations since I got here with Sally Dowland. Uh, Sally taught a class uh, on the uh, uh, a book called The Epic of Eden. Oh my gosh, when I got here and I saw the adult uh, discipleship Bible study brochure and I saw that, I went, oh my gosh, uh, uh, I'm a fan uh, to, that Sally found the book and then liked the book enough to want to teach it. She was like my hero here at the church, uh, an incredible book, and it does the same thing of helping understand from Genesis to Revelations what God is up to uh in in our midst um and then also uh over the last year uh uh the coming uh united methodist church went through a resource called the grand sweep which is a uh uh ellsworth callus wrote a number of years ago it's uh genesis to revelations reading the bible in a year 
but he, but and, and a lot of churches have published, you know, let's read this and as a church read the Bible through the year and hear the verses. But Callus developed a resource uh, to to study that, and so we had about 350 folks in coming reading through. We started in August, and then I announced that I was leaving. So my classes, I left a couple of weeks ago, and they're like, because we won't be done until August. And um, so I had a, a men's group that was going through it and a, 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 a couple of classes that I was teaching. And it was fascinating to study through that. I, I've read the Bible through, but I've never studied it with folks. And I've never taken I'd never taken my church through uh, the Bible. And it was fascinating because we, we kept bringing it up and in worship and we were doing that. And then I had groups that were going through that. So I want to kind of. Uh, help you see uh, a little bit of that and, and kind of pick on the Epic of Eden. Uh, I understand from Sally that there are a number of groups that are going to study that book this fall. Uh, it'd be an interesting, I, and I, I actually would love to uh, uh, have a men's group or even just a group maybe that met, I don't, I don't know when's the best time, Wednesday night or something uh, to, uh, to study it. Uh, and would love to teach that. I'd need to teach it with somebody because my schedule, I'm retired now. So I've, I've, I've got some trips planned and I wouldn't be able to be here. That's an illusion. Yeah, well, um, that's my hope anyway. And I've convinced my wife that that's what we're going to do. So she's excited about that, but she's, she, she's a little bit fearful that that won't happen. But anyway, uh, and so the, the, uh, just kind of a little uh, uh, picture of of how all this this works is that as you read through First uh, and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicle, um, you uh, you get this just really clear image of God at work in people's lives, uh, and it could be any time, in any place, any generation. Any church, any community, uh, any family, uh, you know, just take your pick. We, we all fit in this process where, uh, folks trust in God, uh, they come to some experience. They, they've moved to town, they join a church, they find a Sunday school class, uh, they, they get involved, they're excited about God, then something happens in their life. Uh, and instead of turning to God, they turn to themselves. They turn to their own minds, their own hearts. Uh, I'm going to do this my way. This is this is too big for God because it's too personal for me. So I've got to take control of this situation and this issue. I've got to. I I, I can't leave this up to chance or to God. I, I've got to dig in. I've got to do it my way. And then we we lose kind of perspective. We go down a path that God never intended for us to do. We have to find our way back to God. That's First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, over and over and over and over again. And it's a frustrating passage. And over and over and over, the language in First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles is if God speaking through the prophets, through the kings, through the people. If you will just put me first, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will work out. 
If you'll just put me first, then I will guide you. I will be your God. I will help you. I will come into the places, the dark places, the struggling places, the frustrating places in your life. Uh, I'll give you direction. I'll make a path. It won't always be the path that you would have chosen, but I'll be there in the midst of that with you. If... And so people rally around that. They, they follow God. They, you know, have a revival. They have a big cookout. They, they do something. And for a while, they follow that again. And then something happens in their life. And so we go through the same thing, don't we? The stages in our life. We were in college trying to figure out who we're going to be, what we're going to be. We meet somebody. We get married. We're going to try to figure out what marriage is, what that looks like. Uh, we, uh, we start having kids. We get involved in our job. All of those uh, things start to change. Uh, in our life right now, Sherry and mine, uh, my parents are, are both uh, passed away uh, years ago. Uh, Sherry's dad died years ago. And Sherry's mom is the first person that we've really had to care for. Our, our, our other parents died young. And so uh, we're in this process right now of uh, just we're, we're down in, uh, she lives outside of uh, Gainesville, Florida. And so we were down there last week. She's in the hospital and she wants to go home, but she needs to go into rehab. And so we we had to convince her to to do that. And so she got to rehab, and that's a good thing. Uh, we don't know, and my wife is stressed uh, if she'll come out of rehab and be able to go home, or if she'll go into a facility. Uh, uh, a nursing home and will that nursing home be in Florida and Sherry have to run back and forth or could we convince her to come up here uh, so we're in a situation right now where uh, we're, we're trying to figure out this phase of life how do we care for uh, Gloria uh, in the midst of all of these changes and walk her through that uh, try to understand that, what's best, uh, where do we see God? And so the situation is all in every stage of our life. Um, God presents us uh, with this wonderful life in all these different stages. And every stage, we almost have to relearn this process of trusting in God or trusting in ourselves. And so that's First uh, Kings, First and Second Chronicles, over and over uh, people struggling with how do I trust God? Okay, here's the new struggle. Here's the new battle. And, th- and that's exactly what we face as we go through life. Uh, we face that as a community. I'm not real familiar with Roswell. Uh, was a part of Christ UMC for about six years as it was moving from the old North Fulton United Methodist Church over. Uh, I was the pastor when we moved out there and tried to get that started and and get that going. So I'm a little familiar with, with Roswell. But I know that there are challenges. Uh, as a country right now, we face challenges. Uh, as a world, uh, we're facing challenges. And so how do we trust in God, maintain our faith? And what exactly does that look like? Because there's so many competing voices claiming that God told me or God is leading me or God's in this or God's in that. How do we kind of figure that out? And so what the Epic of Eden does is tells the story of Ruth. Uh, and it's fascinating, guys. It is fascinating that uh, you have this uh, 
Abraham coming out, uh, God's gonna bless this people, this, the, they move across the, uh, in and out of, uh, the slavery in Egypt, uh, set up the promised land, and then first, second Kings, first and second Chronicles tell the story of how the nation is, is built up and then is torn apart, uh, and then at the, at, at the end of first and second Chronicles, first and second Kings, um, and if, if you're not familiar, they, they overlap. They tell the same story, just in different language. And so first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, uh, both tell the same story of Israel's growth and collapse and, and all the, the things. Uh, and so they both end, uh, at this, uh, period of time where the, uh, Babylonians, uh, and Assyrians have come in and wiped out the northern and southern kingdoms. And even, uh, I think first, first Chronicles ends with Persia, uh, uh, kind of now taking over uh, that area. And so Israel's in a, uh, is lost, uh, almost to the point at the end of first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, you're wondering, will the people of Israel ever be a nation and a people again? Will God be able to, uh, uh, um, fulfill the commitment that he made to Abraham? Will there even be a, a people of God left on the face of the earth? And so that ends, and that's, that's where you find uh, the, the, the story of Ruth. And so four chapters, kind of confusing. Uh, what even is that about? Well, it's a, it's a fascinating story. The book of uh, Epic of Eden is all about redemption and how we see the redeeming work of God from Genesis to Revelation. But you don't see it anywhere more clearly than you see it in the book of Ruth. So at this point where you've told the story of uh, the, the Old Testament, really, the whole uh, period of time, you have this, uh, this story, this parable kind of, sort of, uh, of of a of a uh, 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 these three ladies really the main two are, are uh, Ruth and Naomi uh, but the men are dead they they die tragically and so you have Naomi and Ruth that are left um, and they're not from the same country they're not any they're only connected through the the marriage of uh, Ruth's husband and Naomi the mother of the uh, Ruth's husband. And, um, and they go back to, uh, Israel and they don't have a voice. They don't have, uh, a chance of surviving and making it. They go back just to work in the fields and hopefully, uh, are able to survive. They don't really have much hope outside of that. And so in the midst of this story, uh, Boaz sees Ruth and he falls in love. And then Boaz, being a creative businessman, figures out how to finagle the situation to marry Ruth and take care of Naomi. Uh, and redeem is the big word that's all used throughout the story. And redeem Naomi and Ruth and to give them a future and a hope. And so, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I would love to be able to go back and, and find in the when they put the canon together, put the Bible, uh, just the discussion of putting Ruth right there, <coughs> because Israel has come out of a time, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, where there is no hope. Uh, they're scattered. They're beaten. God has been defeated. Uh, the people are all over the place. There's no leadership. There's no 
uh, direction, there's no vision, there's no uh, uh, leader to resurrect them. And then the story of Ruth is about God looking at us and saying, I love these people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's a story of God's love for us and the plan of a redemption that is coming. And so the rest of the Old Testament is turning and pointing in this direction, talking about what's going to come. So you go right into Isaiah and Jeremiah and all the prophecies about what God is going to do. And then in the New Testament, this fulfillment of what God has promised that God's going to do. It's it's an incredible story. And when you see everything lining up in the Old Testament, uh, pointing towards what God is doing. So when you get to the New Testament, you see all of these threads of what God is doing, has been pointing out, has been working on, has been giving us direction of uh, into the future. Uh, it's an incredible story. And the, the thread, again, that runs all the way through is this attempt uh, by God to say, if you will just put me first, then everything else will work out. Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus puts that right in the, the sort of summation of the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus comes to do the same thing. Jesus' <laughs> Jesus's word to the community when Jesus comes is repent. Uh, uh, and, and so when Jesus comes on the scene, he says, repent uh, and follow me. Repent and seek the kingdom of God. Repent. And so that word repent uh, rightly means we've been doing wrong things and we need to do right things and we need to repent from those things. But the literal translation of that word means to turn. Uh, I'm going in this direction. Repent means to turn and go in this new direction. So the image I have is of Jesus looking at the crowds of people that he's passionate about. Again, for God so loved the world. Jesus comes to this group of people who are lost and we're going the wrong way. And it's almost as if Jesus looks at the crowd moving that way. And he stands back here and he says, hey, hey, folks, repent. Turn and come with me. Jesus says, follow me as he selects each of the disciples. Follow me. You're going the wrong way. Follow me. This is where God has created the world to be in us in it. So again, if you put God first, follow God, then everything else will fall into place. And so I, 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 I feel like that's where, um, I want to kind of be, jump in with folks discipleship-wise. Uh, how do we look at who we are, where we are, uh, what we're doing, and constantly sort of put that under some uh, microscope of, are we putting God first, or are we putting ourselves first? Or do we really trust in God, or do we not trust in God? Do we trust in God, sort of, but as long as we get to make all of these decisions and, and things. And so uh, that that played out real clearly in my uh, attempt to retire. So uh, as a minister, I, we have this pension fund. 
And I've been told my whole ministry about the pension fund that we have. The church pays in an amount. We pay in an amount. It's a pretty nice little pension fund. Uh, and so uh, I had assumptions about what that was. And um, being sort of a guy, I, I didn't really go and talk to anybody about it. I just, you know, assumed I could read and follow my pension fund information. And so when I first retired, I had some assumptions uh, I turned my letter into the bishop, and the next week I had lunch with a CPA friend of mine, and I was excited, and I just said, I just want to talk to you about some of the things. And he goes, Jeff, you, you can't do that. And I went, what? And he explained to me the pension fund and taxes on a pension fund and lump sum uh, things, and uh, I said, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, and I'd already turned in my letter. I'd already, you know, told a lot of folks I was retiring. I already had this conversation with my wife. And so uh, I went home and I said, Sherry, Ken said we can't do what we want to do. And um, she goes, okay, so what are we going to do? And I said, you know, it just feels like this is the right thing to do. I just, you know, felt God sort of leading me in this direction for a long time. And so it was a great chance to actually practice what I was preaching. And so all of what I'm doing in retirement is a result of retiring first and figuring it out later. Um, um, and so your confidence in me as a leader just went right down. Um, but, but I can tell you that um, if I'd have understood my pension fund, I wouldn't have retired. <laughs> and so um, I took this step because uh, I knew this what God was pushing me to do. And all of the details of what I'm doing followed a decision on my part to trust God, to follow God. I went home to Sherry and I said, we can't do what we're going to do. And, and I said, but this is still the right thing. We'll figure it out. And um, there's a great image in uh, one of the... Uh, uh, Harrison Ford movies, what was the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark? I don't know which of the, the ones it is, but it's the one where Sean Connery is his dad, and they're trying to find the Holy Grail, and his dad just got shot, and he's dying, he's got to get the drink out of the Holy Grail, and he'll live. And he comes to this uh, cavern, and the Holy Grail's in a cave across the cavern, but there's no walkway. Uh, but he's yelling back and forth to his dad because there has to be a walkway. Uh, and, and so the dad finally, somebody yells out, it's faith, it's faith, it's faith. And so Harrison Ford, uh, this, I mean, it goes down for miles. He just steps out. Remember that scene? And as soon as he puts his foot down, commits to taking that step, as soon as he does that, the pathway illuminates across the, uh, the cavern. But it's only when he takes that step of faith. And I, and I just, I think that's where God wants us to be. And I think that's the message of the whole Old Testament moving into the New Testament. You have to trust me. And a lot of times that's going to mean doing what I say, even though you don't know the path. And so we, we want to know the path. Then we'll decide to be faithful. It's not the other way around. But for God, it is the other way around. Trust me. Trust me. Follow me. Let me lead. Seek first the kingdom of God. Everything else will fall into place. So that's what, I, uh, what, what I'd like to do. Um, Melissa and I are both have pieces of adult ministry, adult discipleship. 
Sunday school, Bible studies, small groups, kind of working that out with each other. And so what we're committed to doing is building some teams of folks, uh, uh, an adult discipleship team, um, uh, uh, a group of folks in the church uh, with wisdom uh, met Sally. Oh, my gosh. She used to be uh, the adult discipleship staff person, a wealth of experience, great teacher. Uh, I'm going to bet that in a church like Roswell, there's tons of folks like Sally. Uh, and if we sit down together uh, to think about, plan, dream, envision, where's God leading us and taking us? That that's going to be a much better plan than me and Melissa sitting in an office upstairs figuring it out ourselves. And so I don't know if any of this sounds fun, cool, interesting to you, uh, but I, I I want your help. And I think together, your background, your struggle, where may God be leading you to step out in some new ways? Uh, I want to have those discussions and conversations. What does that mean for men, men's ministry? Uh, what does that mean for Sunday school classes, small groups, doing church a little different to reach uh, folks that, uh, you know, uh, maybe different ways need to be created to reach uh, in this community? And so uh, I'm excited to be here. And that's a little bit of who I am, where I'm going and where I've been. And uh, so I want to turn it back over to Eric so we can spend some time kind of celebrating things and praying. Well, Jeff, I'm going to ask you to pray us out of here in just a second. Um, I, I had breakfast with uh, with Jeff a couple of weeks ago now, and I was really trying to decide when I heard the word retired, uh, is, was he winding down or was he winding up? And I hope you all seen this morning is winding up. And I, I really like the idea of youth director for maybe not for retired people. Some of us have not achieved that lofty goal just yet. But youth director for adults. We've got our youth director for students in here today, and so I'm grateful for all the people who have participated in getting ready for this morning. Jay, thank you for all the publicity. I hope everybody saw that the men's breakfast made the main church website. It was on in the services. Um, I would love to tell you that I was the one behind the scenes making all that happen, but it was not. It was Jay, and with all the changes at the church right now, I really appreciate everybody stepping up. There's another example of that. Steve and Bobby, we want to thank them for our wonderful hot breakfast this morning. Thank you, guys. Um, I would thank Julie Scott, but I can't do that anymore because she's not here. She has responded to her call, and she is now um, working as a local pastor. And I don't know where her church is, but I know it's like within, do you know? Creekside. 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 How far away is that? Exit 13. 13. Exit 13. So she's going the other way, Jeff. She's she's working up 400. Um, My wife's best friend from high school um, was also, I guess, is ordained the right word as a local pastor? One one of the guys in my small groups will tell me, no, Eric, that's not exactly the right word, but is now serving as a local pastor just north of Macon. Seeing people respond to their call wherever that movement is in their life – is is an amazing thing. So I, before before I share a mountaintop moment, I want to ask: Do we have any prayer concerns this morning that you'd be willing to to share with the group? Any, any wonderful thing or any crisis or any concern that anybody would like to stand up and share? 
I'd like to add that dimension to our men's breakfast. Um, I think it's really important that um, we be honest that um, when it's okay for things not always to be okay. I have heard this come up. It came up yesterday from a college student, friend of mine, and when I heard him articulate that, that he had discovered in his own life that it was okay for things not always to be okay. There was a maturity in that that many people never achieve. Um, it, I've been cheating on our choir for the last six months. Let me let me admit that. Six months ago, I joined a new choir. It was intended to be a uh, an experiment. It was a barber shopping choir, and it was actually two choirs joined together: one choir from Tampa, one choir from Atlanta. And we were going to join together to compete at the barbershop uh, international convention which was last week in Orlando. And I got my kitchen pass all signed up, and I got permission that we required some weekend rehearsals in Valdosta. And so, you know, it was a goal for me to go after, and I said, this is a one-time event. These are two great choirs, and if they merge together, this is a one-time event for me to participate in. And I didn't even know which songs we were going to sing, but it turns out one of the songs you compete with two songs was um, a song you've all heard before from Camelot. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing. Um, if ever I would leave you. And when you're singing a song, you know, once you kind of know the notes and you learn the words, you have to be careful that the, that the meaning get more as opposed to that the meaning drain out. You practice a song literally hundreds of times, bits and pieces of it, and it's really easy to let the meaning leak out. And so part of what we did to combat that was men would share images that they would have in their mind. If ever I would leave you, it, it wouldn't be in summer. What What are you thinking about in your mind when you sing those words? Because you want these performances to be mountaintop moments. And so what I found myself clinging to was the fact that my, my daughter was in Chile for six months. She got back yesterday. And as I was singing this song, it was a lot of times it was her image because, you know, we were separated, you know, and that, that, that separation either brings you closer to a person or it, you get, you just become numb to it. And you can not say, I love you as much. And you just get used to that. And I'm sure we've all had relationships that have just sort of drifted apart because we didn't do the things that, that, that make, that make that, that love, uh, pronounced and, and felt. So I kept, and it made, Singing that song and preparing that song made me ever more intensely miss her. And it was really hard because I wanted that intensity for singing, but then I had to live with it. And and so I'm so happy. My praise, my mountaintop moment is that she's back and that I feel like I'm a better father for having missed her more as opposed to having just not thought about it and using that as a way to cope. Um, I think God is that way a lot. He doesn't want us just to cope. He wants us to thrive, and sometimes that means filled with a lot of joy, and sometimes it means really filled with a lot of sorrow. And so to hear a 20-year-old tell me with his own words that he knew it was okay not to be okay um, was really a breakthrough moment with him. And I told him, I says, I can't believe you just said these words. Um, you may not be going through a crisis right now, but there's probably somebody that you're going to come across in the next week that is going to go through some kind of crisis. And sometimes I think we're being prepared in our own lives so that when somebody we know or come across is going through a crisis, we can speak from firsthand experience. 
I have been there, and I've gotten through that, and it gives you an opportunity to reach out to somebody in a profound way. Um, and so I would just ask that you always be on the lookout for that. I think that's part of our roles as 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 men to be attuned to each other and as as Methodists uh, and as Christians to be on the lookout for other people and where they are in their journey. And so um, now that I've rambled on here for a minute, any other prayer concerns or mountaintop moments you want to share? Not I'm going to turn it back over to Jeff. Yes, sir, Jim, in the room. Jeff, it's all covered something from that. In a brilliant class, it's all that. Oh, good. That's really what I thought. You've just a problem that a lot of us ever guidance. They're trying to do not. It'll drive a family right. okay. to the minister. Jim, thanks for, for sharing that. Um, anybody else? Jeff, would you press out? <clears throat> God, we give you thanks for your word, for your spirit, for your work in each of our lives. You're at, you're at work constantly. Uh, get our attention. Guide us uh, to help us to love. And God, help us that all of your in us be born out of your desire that life be whole. Desire that as you created us, best for us. And your patience. For the ways in which we have you still through all of the loving. And so as it's that in our life, let us example how can, how can you know that. So I thank you, God, for this group. The challenge are in life, the battles talk about, and this don't know how to. I think a fellowship, God, there. So God, we, we ask you this great food for Eric's opportunity. Amen. Amen.